Sam, if there's one thing I've said on this podcast many times before, it's that I love audiobooks. They let me bring my stories with me anywhere I go, and I've listened to audiobooks while driving, cooking, working out, traveling, and even recently, kind of weirdly, well, at the dentist. (laughs) Our sponsor, Audible, can help bring your books with you wherever you go. Right now, our U.S. listeners can get a 30-day free trial of Audible, the destination for audiobooks and podcasts, when they go to audibletrial.com forward slash fanbookspod. On Audible, you can download and listen to thousands of audiobooks, including one that I myself narrated and catch up on all of your reading today. That's audibletrial.com forward slash fanbookspod. And to make it even easier, that link is in the show description. Happy listening! This is the Fantastic Books Podcast. The fantasy and sci-fi book review podcast for fantasy fanatics, book nerds, and lovers of lore and stories. Covering some of the most loved fantasy series as well as brand new novels. With your hosts, Anna and Sam. Let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam. And Anna. And we're hanging out again with Robin Jeffries, author of .exe. And this week, we're covering chapters 15 through 19. Robin, welcome back. Hi, everybody. Hello. This is the penultimate episode, and I think I have more questions now than I have had at any point in the book. I am more perplexed and totally at a loss for who I think did it. I made a theory at the end, but I'm really not feeling solid about my guesses, so really good job on your end for <laughs> <laughs> bamboozling us at every chapter. Yes. <laughs> I think this section of chapters, I just kept going over with a fine tooth comb. We actually were doing a decent amount of driving yesterday. So Anna was reading the chapters out loud to me while I was driving. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. underline that. There's a part there. Like I just kept questioning everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it ended up being lots of things were underlined in the book, which maybe wasn't very helpful in the end because we just kind of went, everything, everything's a clue. I know. And I feel bad to whoever, whoever we lend this book to next because there's so many cramped little notes and annotations in it now. (laughs) But we left off on a pretty good cliffhanger last time of them going to search Felix's rooms for his diary, which they sort of find sort of, well... It they definitely, definitely find a diary. They find something sort of like a diary, but it's very interesting. So yeah, it's our dynamic duo going into Felix's rooms and Cadence picks the lock. They get in and it, it seems like they get in pretty easily. Like it's a crime scene, but they're able to get in there no problem. She was definitely like the lock whisperer in that moment. Yeah, I think if they didn't have Cadence <laughs> on their side, it wouldn't go well. <laughs> yeah, no, the whole thing would fall apart. <laughs> definitely. Well, I don't even think Chance would try to search for any clues period. He wouldn't try to clear his name. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't have stood a chance. Oh. Uh, hey. Roll credit. And I'm leaving. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> so as they are snooping around in uh, Felix's room. So they find a photo of Chance's mother. And this is the first time that Cadence encounters death. Because Chance is talking about how his mother got sick and nobody could save her. And she's like, oh, she's gone. But Cadence is like, is she on a vacation? Is she 
on a hot like where is she <laughs> like when's she coming back like, let's yeah chat. she's <laughs> like not picking up on it so chance explicitly says she's dead she's gone not coming back and we get some really interesting world building from cadence because she does say in a way animanecrons don't have death but they have something called nestati kumrak which <laughs> yeah i'm butchering that hardcore Doing my best. Excellent. No, no, excellent. Excellent. And I like this idea of just kind of fading away and letting things naturally deteriorate in a way where they're not jumping to a a fresher body, so to speak, and just letting that end of cycle Mm -hmm. be it. But it sounds like some of them do jump to new bodies. So like Cadence is 120, right? But I'm not sure if Mm -hmm. that means 120 in this current body or like 120 total. Yeah, it's kind of a question of, like, how long has she been in this format, so to speak. Mm. And yeah, and absolutely. So yeah, some animanecrons do upgrade or change from time to time, and others, as she says, at a certain point, just decide to not and have that be their end. And I really like that idea of chosen obsolescence, kind of, you know, just being like, nope, I'm done. I'm tired. I've had my time. And uh, I'm, I'm outie. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta and get for up. that reason, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. They're like retiring from life. Yeah. yeah. Sort of what it sounds like. Yeah. I also love the way that Cadence, like, I think this is the first time we've heard her use, oh, I forget the name, but like whatever the Animanecron na- language is. Oh, Animantum? Yes. Yeah. And it's like hissing and cracking the way electricity is. It's not human at all. And I thought that was so cool. Just very creative. This whole sequence of chapters, too, we get Cadence opening up a lot more with different phrases and slang terms yeah, of, like, her native language. So I just love the subtle world building with that. Yeah, like, the whole time that they're in this room, she's adding these little abbreviations or sounds to the beginning of her sentences. Mm-hmm. And we had started to pick up on it. I think she started it in the last section, and I yeah. thought it was slang at first. Because it almost seemed like she was like using it to like address somebody, but she re- reveals that it's these things called emotion tagging. Because they don't have as much inflection as humans, they can add this little word to the beginning of their sentence to enforce like what kind of emotion they're putting off of. And once I realized that, I went back and looked at some of them. So like, <laughs> you had APOL, which I think is probably for like apologetic. Mm-hmm. SINC, which I think is for sincere. Yes, or sincere, sincerely, yeah, sincerity in general, yeah. C-O-N, is it confused? I think so. And here's the thing. I've created so many of these speech tags now that I actually, in my, um, I have a series <laughs> Bible where I just have a list of all of the speech tags so I don't get them all confused. Oh, oh that's so awesome. smart. Because I use, I use like a set of, I think between five and ten, ten in this first one. But as mm-hmm. the books go on, she just gets more and more comfortable and more and more these emotion tags just come out. And it's just like, wow, there are a lot because there's a lot of emotions and there's a lot of different shades of emotion. And so, yeah, I had to I had to write them all down to keep them straight. <laughs> that actually kind of like segues into one of the questions that we had was, is there a whole language set? And you're kind of confirming that with this Bible that you've constructed was it hard coming up with like animanecron culture and language? The culture, not so much. I mean, it's hard to say. It's hard to say that it was hard. <laughs> it was fun. 
I really liked thinking about how certain aspects of a culture would be shaped if you were not bound by a physical body, you know, or, you know, the backside of that is if you were somewhat limited by not being born in a physical body and having to inhabit one. Hence, like the emotion tags where it's like, yeah, if you don't have a face or a voice that can do all the emotion stuff that humans do, how do you adapt to that? Because you still want to convey and feel those range of emotions, but what do you do? How do you adapt? But then again, it's also the knowledge that you can just be like, no, nah, I don't like this anymore. I don't like looking like this. I'm just going to change my face. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. And so, yeah, it kind of opened up this whole idea too of like, I, I assume, and I don't, I don't get uh, like this deep into it in this book, but it's like, you know, things like gender politics or racial politics is very different for animonecrons because their bodies are choices. They choose to look however they want to look and whatever gender they want to be or present as is all it's all it's all choice. And it's all surface level to a certain extent. So things like changing from a female presenting body to a male presenting body in the course of 500 years is not weird. They do it all the time. Why not? That's fascinating, That's so especially on like an aesthetic level and what motives and thought processes are driving them especially for a character like cadence yeah if maybe during one mystery novel she needs to present herself as male or something someone more domineering or whatever else yeah it's it's really it's really playing with this idea of 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 constructs social constructs as being just that constructs they're not like we have to physically embody them from time to time because we can't change this we're born with this and by that sorry (laughs) i realize this is a Oh, yeah, we're in an audio <laughs> audio medium. By this, I mean, you know, our bodies, the the way we look and are presented. We, we don't get to choose these. It's not like a video choose screen. And so there are consequences with that. But for some being that doesn't have that limitation, it's very interesting to think out, well, why would you choose to look male? Why would you choose to look female? Why would you choose to look something in between? Mm. Why would you choose to look thinner or heavier or, you know, any number of things. Because this thing's like Cadence is described, you know, in a very specific way to her. But you, you kind of have to think through the fact that she chose to look that way <laughs> for a reason. Yeah, like what purpose is it serving? Right. Yeah. And then once you insert that into human society where nobody else has those options, like mm-hmm. how's that going to play out? Yeah. So that's interesting. So, yeah. So building, to get back to your original question, building animonecron culture was fascinating and very fun. <laughs> And obviously, I could go down lots of rabbit holes with this. And uh, I feel like at some point, I really want to go to Wiston, if that's ever possible in these books. Ooh, yeah. And really dive into what it would be like to be the other in their world versus mm. the way it is in the books currently where Cadence is the other in ours. Because I think that would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be a really great setting. I guess yeah. we had another question that we'd written like further down, but I think... I'd like to ask it now is that like, mm-hmm. I think I'd been assuming Anamonecron because of like necromancy, they were inhabiting dead bodies. Are these mm-hmm. repurposed human bodies or are these like entirely manufactured? These are entirely manufactured. Okay. <laughs> and I get into this in the second book, so I don't feel like it's a spoiler. It's not, it's not a spoiler at all. Okay. But the reason they're called animonecrons is because they were originally designed as a way of transferring consciousness after death. Oh, cool. Okay. So, yes, yeah, so they were originally designed as like, hey, you're 98, 
99, 100, 150. I don't know how old people live in this future, but you know, let's say 102. You're 102, your body's decaying, it's breaking down on you, but you don't want to die. Well, we can transfer your consciousness into this new body, therefore help you live on. But I think an unintended, well, not I think, I know, I wrote it. An unintended consequence <laughs> of creating this whole brand new body with a new neural network was that that neural network took on sentience and decided, I want to be my own thing. I don't want to be a, a sleeve for somebody else. I want to do my own thing. It all spiraled out of control, as <laughs> technology tends to. Yeah, That's fascinating. It reminds me a little bit of the movie The Island. Does anyone uh, know that one with yep. Ewan McGregor? No, I don't, I'm not familiar with that one. We had to watch it in a mythology literature course, which ended up being focused on more of like, what if we live in a myth and not classical mythology? So it took this weird bend at one point, but we watched this movie because it's all these people who live in this like futuristic compound and they're, they're all kind of like stuck there. And every once in a while, one of them through a lottery system wins this trip to a place called the Island. And it's like, you know, the last safe place on earth that's still got like fresh water. And so you can leave this horrible place. But what they're actually doing is that all the people who live there are clones of rich people and the rich oh. people just need their organs harvested to like continue their body to live forever. Yeah. Similar yeah. idea. It is a similar idea. Yeah. Where it's like in our own quest for immortality, we ended up creating new life, which I think is fascinating and has some unintended consequences. I like that there's going to be like more development of this in the other books too. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't have to put it all in this book right now. But getting back to the story, I guess, because <laughs> we went way deep in classic murder mystery moment. They find a secret compartment, which is always fun. Ooh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure when we were reading that part with the drawer, I just go, ooh, classic mystery. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an empty bag in it. And then through more sleuthing, Cadence finds a docu-chip that had been in the bag. It had fallen behind the dresser. The enforcement officers had not found it, and so now they have their own clue. And when they go to put the docu-chip into the computer, it's all these love letters between somebody named F, who we can only assume is Felix, and a woman named the Beautiful Serpent. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) I liked her name. It sounds very mysterious. Yes. There, first off, there's a hilarious moment where Cadence is reading from these love letters and Chance <laughs> thinks she's coming on to him. Oh, my goodness. I was dying. <laughs> Maybe Because he was like, oh, yeah, I knew I knew you were reading from the letter. I'm just going to sit down for a minute, though, and then I'll come back and join you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love during that interaction, too, because he's always pining for her and he likes to think of himself as kind of like a Don Juan and a bit of a womanizer. And then when confronted with, like, the plausibility of the moment, he just kind of stammers and stumbles. Yes. Like he's nowhere near as smooth as he thinks he is. Oh, I didn't even pick up on that, but that's definitely true. Yeah, where yeah. he's just like, um, uh, uh excuse me? <laughs> Which I think is, I mean, as as a woman, that has been my experience for most men who think they're a Don Juan. It's just, it's like, <laughs> all guys think they're, like, totally smooth and would, like, own every situation. And then when you're like, well, okay, let's go. They're like, what? Uh, I wasn't prepared for this. I have no script. I don't know what to do. Um, hold on. I have to. I have to go away now. It's like okay, bye, bye. Like, good try. Good try. Yeah. Oh, so that made me laugh really hard. Good. Then they're reading these love letters, which are actually from 25 years ago, which is 
approximately around the same time that Felix gets into financial trouble, which is revealed in a later chapter. I think the timelines are lining up correctly for that. Mm -hmm. And then Chance is 29, I think he said. Okay, so he would have been a small child. Mm -hmm. My personal theory is that the financial troubles that are mentioned that are are from around the same time is that actually all of this money was related to some kind of affair with this woman, the beautiful serpent. It wasn't actually a business mistake, but like a personal cover-up. And that's my small theory there. And then it it kind of snowballs. Yeah, I think that's the tip of the iceberg for me. Yeah. It starts with that, and then uh, maybe I'll wait till we get to the part (laughs) so I don't reveal too much. Yeah, we'll go through the clues as they come up, but... There's definitely a lot more going on with Felix's past than we were initially led to believe, especially because A, Chance was a small child, and B, he just assumed his parents were in love and it was fine and they had no trouble. So he's learning all of this for the first time. Then we get all of the different characters' perspectives on the past. Yes. It's hard to know what's correct. Mm -hmm. But obviously Chance is like a little bit disturbed when he realizes that his dad wasn't treating his mother well. Oh, there's a great line that you write too. <laughs> I had been a little more than a child when my mother died, but I loved her with the same fierceness of as any son. And the knowledge that my father had been communicating like this with some other woman made me wish he was alive again so I could punch him right in the face. <laughs> and I just love <laughs> that despite all chances, faults and flaws as a character, he is loyal to the memory and honor of his mom. So kudos to him on that moment. Yeah, I thought it was a nice little, you know, they call it um, like in writing the if you have a bad person, you have to show them being nice to the dog. Yeah. You know, oh. it's that kind of moment where it's like, you know, you can have someone be really, really bad. But if you need the audience to sympathize with them, show them being nice to the dog, you know, because that, that humanizes them, makes everyone go like, oh, well, you know, yeah, he might be a serial killer who, you know, skins people. But look, he has a dog that he really likes. And it's like, OK, sure. That's <laughs> even it out, though. The 1% redeeming, like, <laughs> attribute. Exactly. Yeah. And so now that I'm trying to build Chance back up into a better human being, I was like, well, I got to show that he's, you know. He has issues upon issues, but he loves his mom. It's got to be something in there worth saving. Mm-hmm. There definitely is something there. He's really turning it around. I am growing to like him quite a lot. Oh, good. We also get like information a little bit later on, too, about his relationship with his dad. And I think that reveals a lot more about like why he is the way he is. There's a he hasn't turned out it. the best, but I think there's potential for him to grow into like a mature and not totally self-absorbed adult. <laughs> so once they find out all this information they decide to go talk to desdemona because of what felix mentioned about wanting to get married with a clean slate and i like that at first kate tells chance that he's not allowed to come (laughs) that she's like you're gonna ruin it you're just by the way you are she's not gonna talk with you in the room he does recognize that a bit and is like well i'll just sit in the corner and not be mean But what we find out in the next chapter is that Desmond is actually quite nice and Chance has been really unfairly judgmental of her. Yeah. Yeah. She's a lot stronger than she lets on to be too emotionally. I think he constantly just wrote her off as this like frail thing that was like subservient to Felix. I think he really thought she was just in it for like fame and money too Mm. and didn't really think about her emotions at all. Yeah. Before we go into the next chapter, so we had so many questions with this section because nothing's been revealed yet. Yes. 
So instead of just listing our our questions at the end, we wrote our questions from each chapter and like what we hope we need to find out. Yes, our cool, out loud cool. pondering. Yes, so we need to know <laughs> who this woman, the beautiful serpent, is. Mm-hmm. Who is BS? <laughs> <laughs> Are any? Oh wait, is Belinda's last name start with S? Ooh. Oh no, it starts with T. Okay. Darn it. Okay. That could have been sneaky. <laughs> then we need to know what happened between this woman and Felix to end their relationship and like how the affair kind of was resolved or not resolved if it was or if it was still going on or kind of like their history. Mm-hmm. And then what was the relationship between Felix and his wife Verity? So like were they actually in love or if, were they in love at first or was he having an affair before? So there's lots of questions about their whole history. Right. Also as an aside Great choice with the name Verity, meaning truth. Love that. Thank you. (laughs) I feel like it's obviously going to weave into more truth and knowledge and things as we go through the plot. So it's just a nice little nugget there. Yeah, I I just thought it was a nice little Easter egg. And and I thought it fit also with the rest of the world, too. Like, it wasn't so obviously, glaringly, like, out of sync with everyone else's names that it would really pop out. But it was, it's just, it's just nice. It's nice. Yeah. No, it fit. Yeah, it fit really well. Does did we look up? Does Felix mean luck? Is that what that name no, means? No, uh, Felix. I think meant happy. Oh, I think in trans, like certain translations. Interesting. He seems very unhappy. I know. <laughs> Time to talk to Desdemona. This conversation went really differently than the way I was expecting. I thought Desdemona was going to be not forthcoming with them, but mm-hmm. she was pretty chatty. I think she's written off by all the other people in the house quite often because of the way Chance thinks of her. So I think she was just happy to have somebody to talk to, which kind of made me sad. Yeah. So we find out that she really loved Felix. She said he was the nicest man she ever met. He was always looking out for people. He encouraged her when they first met and like made her feel important. So this is exactly the opposite of what Chance thought was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting. And he's like, oh, she actually like cared about my father. That's crazy. Who would have thought? (laughs) Someone's intentions being pure and honest. I don't know. I know. She's obviously very upset that he's dead. And like you can tell that she's been crying, but she's not like a complete mess. So again, like Sam said, she is a lot stronger than we were originally thinking. And Felix said that about her in like chapter two, three, like way at the beginning. Yeah, and that fight that he had with Chance. He was like, yeah, she's got more gumption than you. And that was nice to see that she actually was not just like a completely throwaway character and ended up being more important than Chance was was giving her credit for, for for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So then she reveals that she made some mistakes in her past, which we already know about, like her, her drug addiction. And then... They said something about her being a jewel thief before, right? Victoria Mm -hmm. found that out. So we already knew what her mistakes were. She talks about how Felix doesn't have mistakes, but he had regrets, which is an interesting distinction to make. And his main regret was that he wished his first marriage hadn't ended so badly. And she doesn't really know what that means. And I don't really know what that means still, obviously. Mm. Cadence saves the moments, (laughs) thankfully, because Chance is getting upset. And she just says that obviously death is a bad way to end a relationship, which is true. <laughs> I have some questions about whatever that means. What ended badly, I guess. I know. It's, I think, foreshadowing a little bit of whoever BS is, the beautiful serpent, mm-hmm. and maybe Verity finding out some of that. 
but we'll see. Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack with their history. So. Yeah. And then the final thing that Desdemona talks about is that she saw Felix go to bed around 11 when he usually goes to bed around 15 or 1, which I liked that little detail. It wasn't like midnight or 1, but there's a different amount of hours on this planet. Mm-hmm. That means he went to bed four to five hours earlier than usual, which is definitely weird behavior. Yeah. That'd be like us going to bed at like four o'clock in the afternoon. Like that's not normal. Yeah. <laughs> definitely suspicious. And then uh, this is like such a frustrating thing that happens in murder mysteries when they say that they saw someone, but then they're like, oh, I didn't actually see their face. Yeah. Yes. And you're like, like mm. seeing- oh, <laughs> yes. So frustrating. And she was like saying that he was shuffling. So I think based on Cadence's theory about the dumbwaiter and then the fact that Felix maybe got murdered downstairs is that what she actually saw was somebody pulling his body, like kind of like over his back. <laughs> what did you say in the car? He, maybe he, they were carried over the shoulder and was wearing a big bathrobe, so it looked like it was just him walking. I did say that. <laughs> and I was like, that's not a bad idea, but my first thought was, well, imagine how comfortable and terrible it would be if, like, someone on the opposite end of the hallway just looked up and, like, saw someone hauling another person, like, a backpack over their <laughs> shoulders. Yeah, but, like, how did they, they moved his body upstairs, so, like, someone was potential oh, yeah. to see them at some point. I'm just getting, like, very, like, Weekend at Bernie's vibe of just, like, <laughs> yeah. someone flopped over Hello. another person. I meant, like, firemen carry them and then, like, hide the fact that you have four legs instead of two legs yeah. by putting, like, a robe over yourself or something. I do like the thought of a dead person backpack. That's that's a funny, <laughs> that's a funny oh, horrible God. image. It's awful. Just Desdemona being, like, Good night, sweetie. And then, like, dead Felix is, like, being made to, like, wave good night. Oh, no. Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> we can laugh about it. It's okay. <laughs> but funny. Terrible, but funny. Yes, definitely. I uh, mean, the other possibility is that it's just somebody else. Right. Yeah. It wasn't sure. Felix at all. So those are our two options there. But uh, it's so hard because obviously, like, witness accounts are not usually accurate and then if it's just seeing somebody from behind it's really tough so from your perspective was it hard to come up with ways to skew perspectives or pieces of information with unreliable narrators and then like did you have to kind of fit this to each character's personality or did you assign pieces of evidence to characters at random I know that was a lot of questions no so I think the the kind of nugget of that was like no it it there was a lot of questions, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think it is it was hard to decide in the discussion we've had before, like how much to reveal and how much to obscure. But once I kind of made that sliding scale determination, it was actually pretty easy to figure out which character should see and not see what based off of what I already knew about their personalities. Okay. It was not just like randomly, like I have this set of this bag of clues and I'm just going to throw them out at people. I did very intentionally pick like, oh, well, so-and-so is going to have seen this and such and such will have noticed this. And because it's, you know, who they are, that's what they would have picked up on. No, but that's actually really cool because when we've been dissecting this, I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, like that's really interesting on who within the plot is picking up on each observation or clue. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's what really jogged my thought process. It's like, well, how would you go about it? And I would agree with the way you implemented it. I think 
and make sense of base observation off of a character's personality rather than just randomly being like, and Henry saw the hook hand like you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah yeah where it's like like for example like it makes sense to me that desdemona would notice that even if she didn't know that it was significant and i'm not saying it is but <laughs> that she would notice that felix was shuffling because it's like you know she was engaged to him she was romantically involved with him when you are dating someone you get to know their step their manner of moving how they talk and stand and all that kind of stuff so it makes sense to me that desdemona especially someone like her who perhaps is a little bit more keyed in to people's nonverbal because they don't always talk to her <laughs> um oh. would notice something like that yeah that makes total sense because mm. i think the other person who ends up seeing felix earlier was belinda and she was like it's in a different chapter uh chance brings it up and he's like oh well felix went to bed early and she's like oh yeah but he was sick and kind of exactly. writes it off whereas desdemona gets us this like more nuanced description of the last time she saw felix yeah and it's like and yeah and she was paying attention because she could because he was sick she was worried about him because she loves him yeah which again chance just like totally didn't think that she did so yeah. <laughs> she had a lot more information than i was expecting yeah and then they all bond over the tv show wind in the willows <laughs> and i love that this is in here it just i think when you have so many different personality types and characters and motives within the story, it's nice to kind of have a pause break where they are all just people and you can have things that everyone can just either agree upon or something that just brings them together in a pleasant way. Yeah. Where Chance can be like, all right, we're not so different after all. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of what I wanted this to do is, is another humanizing moment, but but not just for him, for also for Desdemona, who we, like you said, we haven't really, aside from this scene, gotten to really dig into her very much. So it's nice to get a chance for all three of them, and Cadence too, because she needs to be humanized, um, given that she's not, <laughs> to kind of go, oh, okay, so this is a thing that we can all interact with and get something out of. Even if it's not all the same thing that we're getting out of it, it's nice. Even though life is horrible. And, and I don't know, that's kind of my, once again, from my personal philosophy, where it's like, life is horrible. Horrible things happen. <laughs> you know, I mean, and they will happen all the time, but that doesn't mean you can't find little pockets of good things in the middle of the horridness. Where it's like, yeah, even when your life seems to be exploding around you, and for Desdemona, she just lost potentially the love of her life, for all we know, and any chance of a future that she was planning. Chance lost his dad and might be going to jail. Cadence is going through a lot of stuff. They can all just pause and go, this is nice. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was so like delightful. It was also a nice break to be reminded that even though Chance and Cadence are super on the like sleuthing trail, everyone else is just kind of stuck in the house until the inspector gives them the okay to leave. So they're just kind of puttering around, filling their time, which I thought was... Like a nice reminder, too. Yeah. 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 That's like there are other people in the house who are ostensibly filling their time somehow. Yeah. I think later you mentioned that like someone's playing a game of like lawn ball. And mm -hmm. then like I think Victoria and Desdemona do some online shopping. So yeah. there are little just like the other people are just going about their day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I'd kind of forgot about. And when you mentioned Victoria shopping, I was like, oh, yeah, we haven't seen her in a while. Like, what has she been up to? <laughs> so... Yeah, it was just like a nice little break. Is there any particular reason you chose Wind in the Willows? Or is that going to be a big 
clue that we can't know yet? A little bit of both. Okay. As in, like, there's a reason, and I will tell you in the next episode. How about that? Okay. okay. There's a there's an in-story reason, and there's a personal Robin reason. Ooh. All right. We'll hold that till the end. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was wondering if it was, like, sort of parallel, because Chan says he always wanted to be Mr. Toad, even though he gets into all of that trouble. At least he was having fun, which is obviously what Chance has been doing his whole life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's been living the Mr. Toad life for sure. Oh, yeah. yes. No consequences for him. <laughs> uh, and I've seen Wind in the Willows like when I was really little, so I sort of remember it. Um, but you've never seen it or read it, so. No, I had no idea it was a thing. So you actually got to show me a bunch <laughs> of that earlier. But I'm not going to tell you the end, because if it's like a parallel story, then I'll just keep my mouth zipped. <laughs> mm. So then the inspector shows up late in the evening to do more interviews. And the inspector just gets more and more useless in his investigative abilities i think as the book yeah goes i feel on. like Ribois has lost steam and he's just kind of like Ugh, okay which like objectively speaking from a i guess detective or law enforcement thing they must be at their wits end because there's like several crimes happening and they can't figure anything out it must be getting so frustrated yeah it's like all right well first there was a theft and now there was a murder and by the end of this chapter, they get called out again for right. an attack. And they're just like, enough! <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. The the way I experienced, or experienced Bourbois in my head at this moment was just very much like, I don't know what else to do, so I'm just going to poke at people and hope something falls out. Because mm. it seemed kind of, he, he, he has his idea of who did it, but he just can't prove it, which is exactly. very frustrating. I, I imagine. I'm not a detective, but (laughs) I think that would probably feel very frustrating when you think you know exactly who did it, but you have no firm evidence or no judiciary oversight to go, yes, I'm going to arrest this person. And then I think he just gets to the point later on where he just, he arrests Solomon. And I think it's more like, uh, we need to show that we're making progress and are arresting somebody for something. Mm -hmm. So I think he's just kind of like shooting into the dark eventually. Yeah. (laughs) But he just asks completely mundane questions this time again. Like you said, I think he's just kind of poking and prodding and seeing if anyone has anything they didn't mention before. He's going fishing. Yeah. (laughs) He's going to cast a wide, wide net over Mm -hmm. everybody. While these interviews are going on, Chance and Minerva have a side conversation about Verity. And this is where we get a completely different perspective on the past. Because Minerva says that they were well-matched socially, like they came from the same sort of financial background and social class, but they were opposite personalities. They never really clicked. And then this is where she reveals about the financial troubles. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I thought it was financial troubles relating to the affair and not relating to actual business is because Solomon has refused to ever tell her what the money troubles were about. So Mm. I think if it was like business money troubles, he could probably say something. Whereas if it's like he's helping Felix, his friend slash boss, cover up an affair, then maybe he wouldn't say something. Yeah. Either that or I'm reading way too between the lines on that. And we'll find out. (laughs) Either way, in the notes, we just have suspicious in all caps. (laughs) Sus. Hella sus. I think I wrote that at least five times in these notes. Yeah. Everyone's shady this time. (laughs) And then the last thing that Chance asks her is if there was somebody else who could have been the beautiful serpent. He doesn't say that out loud, but, you know, another woman. And Minerva can't think of anybody 
at that point. She said it was the same old crew of people. Either the beautiful serpent is somebody very secretive or it's somebody within the inner circle that we haven't determined yet. Yeah. So as the questioning continues on with Bribois, Cadence returns and she's all buddy-buddy with uh, Bribois, a little on the flirty <laughs> side. And Chance is just jealous and mad and frustrated. <laughs> Her charms were beneficial because she was able to get copies of the EO files, which super risky. Yeah. Yeah. Give her so much credit because I'm not sneaky or stealthy in any way. No. And I 100%, it just like how I am as a person, would definitely get caught like in the act. <laughs> yes. And then not even have like a, a good excuse or poker face. I'd literally just be like, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately like handcuffs behind my back. Like, you're coming with me. So a million points of cadence for being awesome. Some of the side questions that we have for the end of this chapter were, who did Desdemona actually see with Felix shuffling, which we already kind of went into? I have a theory that Verity's illness was manufactured. Mm. I have a question. So like manufactured, like she pretended to be sick? No. Or like someone's making her sick? Someone made her sick. Okay. Because without, there's like build up with these other <laughs> chapters, but I'm just going to unleash my theory now because I can't contain myself. <laughs> During the past, Felix has money troubles and Verity won't bail him out. That's clearly a cause for like frustration with him. And he's used to getting what he wants. If we're under the assumption that the... Money is for the affair, the wife's in the way, and he manufactures an illness that will take her. He can take the money from being married and... I hadn't realized that he would inherit her money if she dies, which is obvious now, but yeah, that makes sense. So that is my current theory. I believe it. It's it's got logic to it. So then do you think... Someone would kill Felix because he killed his wife like 20 years ago. and Oh, all like revenge. Yeah. For an old flame. <laughs> they have. Like, could, could Belinda like be like, you killed my best friend. And even though she loved Felix, she kills him in the long run. Ooh. Like, now the love triangles and the confusion gets more and more complicated. <sighs> and I just say, we shall see. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm spiraling Robin. <laughs> <laughs> we need to know. <laughs> oh. And then I didn't write a question in our like list of questions. I just said a million questions about Felix and Verity's relationship because everyone's giving us different versions. Mm. So mm-hmm. eventually we need to get down to the bottom of what actually happened between the two of them and whether or not they were in love because Minerva says no. And then a couple of chapters later, Belinda says they were super in love. Yeah. Who do you believe? Hard to know who to believe. Yeah. And thus... We get to chapter 17. Right out of the rip, Cadence refuses to tell Chance how she got the EO files. <laughs> and I just love that he's getting so worked up about like the how and not just we have the information and we can we can move forward, yeah. Get one step closer to like figuring it out. Yeah, he says, I cajoled and begged, wheedled and demanded, bribed, promised, and tried every trick I knew to discover what Cadence had done to get those files. I might as well have been trying to move the planet off its axis. 
<laughs> just nosy. Yep. Well, so like I think he thinks that she flirted to get the right the files, and wild. he just like has to know. He can't can't not know. He's just getting grumpier and grumpier about just this classic chance <laughs> being kept in the dark. <laughs> During this chapter, Chance does reveal that his father was really good until about 11. I think this was a very interesting age that you decided for Chance for a couple of reasons. Because it's just prior of like the generic teenage, like coming of age time of your life. Mm-hmm. A classic case of like he was not ready to accept so much expectation and responsibility, especially after losing his mom. I think that really influenced and shaped who he is because it's just too much is expected when he's not ready right and his dad definitely wasn't nurturing enough to allow him to rise to the occasion this really allows us as the audience uh have more empathy for chance and why he is the way he is i think that it's interesting too that you decided to have chance reveal this nice side of his father so late into the book Mm -hmm. it's not really pivotal to the mystery part of things but i think it is really pivotal to the characters and so far chance has just been like my dad was mean he and i didn't get along he as he's growing and getting his head out of his ass essentially (laughs) looking at other people around him he's like okay well you know this line was really good you wrote lost without his presence the things i discovered about him and the inner life he had led his human failings All were making me feel closer to him, even if they simultaneously angered me. Solving his murder was a way of solving the mystery of my father as a whole. Perhaps he and I had not been so different after all. And just that, like, connection, even though it's now too late for them to actually build a new relationship, I think is essential for Chance. And I think it's also awesome that you put in the fact that it's helping him, I think, with his grief process, but he is also getting angry about the things he's learning about his dad because a lot of the times when people pass away they're totally put up on a pedestal and everyone's like they were amazing they were so great it's not always that's not always the case and chance is actually coping with that fact fairly well yeah yeah i think it's really important that for chance's development here the way I, i kind of saw it when i was writing the book was that he's starting to see people as people He's, he's always been aware that he has a rich inner life because, of course, he does. But he never really assumed that other people did because he's so self-centered. And now he's like, oh, wow, like there are layers and depth and contradictions. And that's really cool. It's also upsetting because it means that people can simultaneously be, you know, a good dad up until I'm an 11 year old and then treat me like crap afterwards. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't a good dad, you know, up until that point. Yeah, I think it's really important for him to suddenly, not suddenly, but start to realize that people have depth and contradictions and that that's okay. I think up until now, he's kind of ascribed every other character around him, like one to two personality traits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's just kind of realizing people can have more than that. (laughs) I kind of like that that was the initial perspective too, though, where it's very... um mystery book where everyone in a way in the beginning is a bit of a caricature yeah and then they get more in depth and you get the motives behind the surface yeah and everyone's got different secrets and different pasts and so it's playing well with the character development but also the mystery solving aspect of the whole book Mm. yeah and that was very intentional i kind of wanted to start everybody off as a trope you know as like a oh they're there this character is 
the funky aunt. This one is the jealous <laughs> girlfriend. This one is the best friend. You know, like this one is the stern dad. And, and it's like, yeah, because it's a mystery book and everyone knows what to expect when you see a character like that in a mystery book. And then I wanted to go, but you know, what if these people were actually people with like lives that intersect and impact one another and they have foibles and failings and wow, that totally changes everything. Then suddenly this isn't just like a fun murder mystery. This is like kind of sad. Like, like you were saying about Desdemona where it's like, wow, no one talks to her. That's horrible. <laughs> like, that's not a nice way to treat people. Right? <laughs> like she's got to be so lonely. Yeah. She's lonely and isolated and she just lost somebody that she was in love with and no one's talking to her. That's horrible. Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah. Like no one's really consoled her. But it ho- totally happens. No. No one's consoled her or been like, hey, sorry, your like a billion dollar necklace got stolen and then your husband died. Yeah. They're just like, we're stuck in this house. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's everyone there is 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 to a certain extent somewhat self-absorbed, which once again, my own kind of personal worldview coming in, I think to a certain extent, most people are a little self-absorbed and it takes something like a tragedy like a murder or a natural disaster or something extreme to kind of snap us out of that and go oh other people are people yeah just yeah. like me they're not just side characters in my main <laughs> my main character life <laughs> yes exactly cadence will not let chance see the eo files and he's pouting about the house because he wants to know what she's doing but she's holed up in her rooms so he ends up going to the library to kill some time and he runs into Solomon there. I love this little bit of lore that you put into the world here with story cubes. Just really fun sci-fi. I love the idea of how it would work as being like a projected hologram of a story and that you could just like wave your hand or use your eyes to turn the next page. Yeah. And it just would feel very interactive and fun. Yeah, I just thought it'd be like kind of a fun alternative to carrying around like a tablet or a computer or your phone even. It's just to be able to go like plug this thing into a reader and just literally see it in front of your face. And you can make the text larger, smaller, however you want it. And then just read it. I thought that'd be fun. I like it. And I like that he has regular books too. And it's interesting because obviously most people who are like big into books, like we all wax poetic about wanting real books and not Mm -hmm. kindles or tablets but chance is like but the story cubes they're so beautiful and elegant and then we have these old things yeah (laughs) (laughs) i know which is like that was that hurt my heart a little to write because as (laughs) as uh, you can't the listener can't see but uh, i have tons of books behind me because i love my books my physical books i love them i'm the kind of collector who will take like three copies of the same book but they're like slightly different (laughs) if it's my favorite book I have to have it I have to have it physically but I do recognize that there are people who are like that's clunky and old no you know I work in a library so I constantly hear people who are like why would I carry around a tote bag full of five books when I can have 500 books on my phone and to a certain extent you have to go like that's a good argument I can't. I mean, you're right. You get more and books that way. from life. <laughs> <laughs> but Chance is definitely in the ebook camp. <laughs> comes to books. Oh, for sure. Um, was this like a concept that you tossed in on a whim? Or was this something you were like, definitely had intention for? 
Oh, this was a definitely intention. It's actually kind of a homage to Samuel R. Delaney's Stars in My Pocket Like Grains of Sand. It's an older sci-fi novel. And in that, he talks a lot about books and how reading is going to look in the future. And in his future, everyone basically has the internet in their brain, which is a terrifying thought. Oh, in my no. Opinion. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It has wild ramifications for his world. But basically, everyone has the internet in their brain, and they can essentially just download books. Huh. It takes like 30 seconds to read a 300-page novel, because the knowledge is just there in your brain. And it's like, wow, okay, how would that change how we perceive books and literature and reading because then he also has another society in that same future who doesn't do that who actually sits down and reads books in real time and they're like it's a totally different experience of the information and and gathering it and appreciating it and so I was like that's that's really cool I always really like that concept of playing around with how we deliver things like poetry Mm. how is a poem different if it's just immediately in your brain versus you seeing it on a page and taking five minutes to read it so I wanted to play around with that a little bit with my idea of like, it's a story cube. It's a, it's a book, but it's in a cube and you plug it in and you can go as fast as you want or as slow as you want and just unplug it and you can, it can read itself to you. And it's like, okay, that's fun. That's a different format of reading. And how would that change our perception of literature or books? Mm. It was just a fun little yeah. thing that I wanted to play around with. Yeah, no, I thought it was really pleasant. I mean, we're obviously a books podcast, too, so I feel like we have pretty strong opinions about, like, how to read things. Yeah. Um, Like, I use audiobooks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I use audiobooks a lot for convenience, but they're definitely not my favorite way to read because I can't flip back the page Mm -hmm. and say, oh, what did this person say two pages ago? Or I can't see a map or cover art or anything like that. Mm -hmm. There's no physical aspect to it, but it does lend itself to me doing other things and still being able to get a story but it's more like an instant gratification right. of like, well, I'm just in this for the story and not the relaxing aspects of reading. Right. It's like a whole ritual of reading. Yeah. Yeah. And you read regular books and you read on your phone a lot too. And like those are, I'm assuming, different. Oh, yeah. With removing the factor of time constraints, I prefer like a nice hardcover book. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that you say, Robin, where you're like, oh, I like if it's a book you love, you have three versions of it. And I totally respect that because you have like the soft cover for like continuous rereads that like if it gets like Mm -hmm. handled into oblivion, that's okay. Then you have like (laughs) the presentation hardcover, very nice, maybe like anniversary edition of the book. That's like, this is my treasure. (laughs) No one touched my treasure. This is like my nice version. Mm -hmm. And then you may just have like the backup copy just in case. Yeah, just in case something happens. Agree. Because um, Anne and I were even just talking about this recently where she said, you know, you, you know, you spend a lot of time either on a tablet or your phone reading. Do you want a Kindle? And my first thought was like, no. I go back and forth because due to convenience of either getting a book from the library or whatever, I've been reading more books off of, you know, electronic format, but I don't think it's my preferred method. Mm-hmm. So just... Stories are great, and I'm glad they're accessible in many forms. Yeah. And one day, I'm hoping hologram. (laughs) Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. One of the authors we worked with tweeted, every reader needs three copies of their book, one to read yourself, one to lend to friends, and then one perfect copy to be buried with. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's a good thought. Yes. I was like, oh, I feel so justified now with, like, how many books (laughs) I own. (laughs) 
So they're in the library, bringing it back again. I know we keep getting off topic a little bit. Solomon is in the library looking for the copy of the will that Felix had been working on the night that he was murdered. I think Solomon's just like flipping through all the books, um, pulling them out of the shelves, but he has not found it yet, as far as we know. Mm -hmm. And then Chance also asks him about the relationship between him and his father and whether or not he was going to be fired because there was that rumor that had been going around. And Solomon says that he was actually going to leave Halcyon Enterprises to do different research anyway. So I was not expecting that. So it seems like his like motives for murder are pretty diminished here. Yeah. There was no actual threat of being fired. And he says that he was probably the closest thing that Felix had to a friend. So I think the two men probably were on fine footing. He's now less suspicious than he was before. So after the library, Chance finally barges in on Cadence because he can't be <laughs> held off anymore. Yeah, he needs to know. <laughs> he just can't contain himself. She was like, yeah, Chance, you should have knocked. And he was like, uh, I did, but he definitely did not. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, no, I totally did not. Can't bother with knocking. I must know. I'm the main character. <laughs> <laughs> she finally reveals that she stole the EO files. So he can be not so possessive and jealous over her, I guess. Yeah. And I don't know if she's just been keeping Chance away because she was trying to protect him from like being connected to her theft of the files or if she didn't want him to see what was in the files. We're not clear on that. And then he catches her up on everything that he's then learned from Minerva and Solomon. Cadence is very suspicious about the timing of Verity's illness and the financial troubles a la Sam's theory. <laughs> I have thoughts. <laughs> they do look at Desdemona's arrest files that were stolen from the EO. And it says that she had an accomplice. And Cadence thinks it's a lover. At one point, since we know, Desdemona was sent to rehab in, is it Caillou or KU? KU. KU, thank you. But her accomplice was not discharged from that rehab. We're not sure if this quote-unquote accomplice is still currently there. Maybe they escaped and has entered the fray of this mystery. We're not too sure, but it's just all adding to Desdemona's less than glamorous past. Way back in chapter 8, because I like went way back into the book, Victoria said that Dr. Merton used to work at one of those free clinics. And she says all the patients were pure trash, drogan addicts, prostitutes, the lowest of the low. So I think that that's where Desdemona and Merton must have met because she had gone to a clinic for being a drogan addict. And they had that fight last episode where they were on a first name basis. So there's something going on there between the two of, two of them as well. But uh, again, you give us just not enough information to know yet. <laughs> and I have a theory, but I'm going to wait till we finish covering um, 18 to go about it. Okay, yeah. So the end of this chapter, they decide they're going to have to search Dr. Merton's medical bag. So this is the last place that has not been searched. Yeah. It's always been on his person every time the EO officers come to search people's rooms. So they think that he might be hiding something in there. And it's very clever on Cadence's part to bring this up where Chance immediately writes her off and is like, no, doctor has a doctor bag. It just makes sense. And she's like, 
yeah, but what could he be hiding? He could clearly be hiding something in it. He's like, no, no, yeah. it's just medical stuff. Well, she's like, well, why don't we look just in case? No, no, doctor bag. And you're like, chance. <laughs> so I'm glad at least she's like, this is why you're not in charge, everything. chance. Yeah. He's too trusting, I think, or too naive sometimes. Too naive. Definitely. For a murder theft mystery, I love how much theft is going on for the protagonists. Oh, like they're the ones stealing too? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, uh, they might get in trouble if they don't solve it because they've just been adding to all the list of crimes going on in this household. Oh, yeah, but it's like, that's what makes it fun. It's like, <laughs> wh- what are you willing to do to get to the bottom of it? How far we go down the rabbit hole? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so again, at the end of every chapter, we have a million questions. <laughs> <laughs> so one, is Desdemona actually rehabilitated from being on Drogon, or has she periodically been using Drogon during the story, like during the plot? Or is she on some kind of other medicine because of the fight that she had with Dr. Merton? So we're not sure what's going on with her drug use. Two, where is her accomplice? And could he potentially be he or she i guess be lurking around somewhere and like adding to the theft or the murder or some kind of is he here but unseen Mm -hmm. which i think is definitely a possibility again a perpetual question where is the copy of the will (laughs) (laughs) and was solomon truthful about his leaving halcyon because him framing it in the light of like, well, I was going to leave anyways. It's like, oh, okay, not suspicious. But if it was actually like, oh, I'm going to fire you. And then it's a good way for him to take suspicion off. And especially now, like Felix is dead. It wouldn't matter if he was going to get fired or not. Right. Yeah. No one can contradict him. Exactly. And so we get to chapter 18. I give Chance some credit on this one. He uh, distracts Merton by asking about medical school standards. And Henry's like, really, dude? Because they've obviously been through (laughs) these like long-winded lectures time and time again. (laughs) Here you definitely get like a sense of like the old guard. Back in my day, things were harder. You kids have it so easy now. That kind of spiel. So it gives Cadence plenty of time to go through Merton's bag. And man, she gets some really funky stuff out of this she finds a vial of blood that happens to be um felix's blood the night of the party and then we get these purple vials at first (laughs) Anna and i were speculating and i was like oh is it the cider (laughs) (laughs) and then you and then you thought maybe it's poison or a medicine i think it could either be poison because of the potential of felix being poisoned it could also be drogon yeah or it could be like an anti-drogon to help desdemona if she's still addicted so i don't know what it is yet and cadence doesn't get a chance to reveal what it is she gets to investigate it but we don't find out yet right so the purple things are mysterious he did have multiples of them too which is interesting because i think with poison you would need only one Ooh, good deduction. Or poison slash antidote. That's, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then on top of all of this, Caden says she knows who the murderer is, but she cannot tell Chance until she knows why. So her snooping has been very fruitful. Um, there is a little Easter egg here too. 
they go to investigate the pot that was in the kitchen with the that the cider was made in. And it's got these weird crystals in it. My first thought was, okay, Belinda having a geology like crystal background and it's her special cider. I'm like, did you do something weird to it? And it's like accumulating crystal growth. I think it's like crystals, like salt crystals, like little ones. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You know, rock crystal poison. (laughs) You don't know. I don't know. Isn't that what like borax is like a crystal poison? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you are correct. Ha ha. (laughs) I have thoughts. (laughs) Okay. But they don't think that Belinda had anything to do with the poisoning because they say it, there's literally no motive for her to kill Felix. And then the other thing that's getting in the way of this theory is the fact that if she made the cider and offered it to everybody, there could have been the potential to poison anyone and everyone. Mm. Which means that whoever did put the poison in the cider was reckless enough not to care who got poisoned as long as Felix got poisoned. It was kind of a dead end. It's so hard to figure out. Yeah, like it doesn't really reveal anything, but... It is interesting that it's not like one person's cup in particular was poisoned, but the whole pot. Speaks a little bit to the mindset of the person who did it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So after they find these crystals, this is where Cadence goes to investigate them in the shed, and she won't let Chance come with her. At this point, I now think, because she has said she knows who the murderer is, I think Cadence thinks it's Henry. And she doesn't want Chance to come with her in case Henry is the murderer. She doesn't want them to be alone together or, like, to talk to each other. Because otherwise, I don't know why she wouldn't let Chance come with her. Interesting. Interesting. I know. She's being awfully mysterious. It's very hard to tell. (laughs) (laughs) So much happens off screen, too, in these chapters. Mm -hmm. Like, what Cadence does in the shed. So it's difficult to know what her motives Mm -hmm. are. Which is interesting because she's not really one of our prime suspects, but she's acting suspicious towards Chance, too. Yes, she has her own shady things going on. Yeah, Yeah. and they seem to be coming out more and more in these chapters. I will tell you, it's not spoilery, but you're on the kind of on the right track of the she has a reason. Okay, you're you're not like crazy thinking like, is there a reason she's doing this? It's like, yes. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, because she'd been pretty cooperative with Chance before and even explicitly said we should work on solving this mystery together. And now she's like keeping him at arm's length. So I just don't I just don't know what's happening, but I know something's happening. And during this section, Chance runs into Belinda and I don't know. Chance was kind of subtle with this, but also (laughs) at the same time wasn't where, you know, he was just kind of like. So, Aunt B, when you made this cider that ended up making my dad sick, well, uh, what'd you put in it? (laughs) (laughs) You know, there is an interesting bit of information we get where she does say that before she served it, you know, she washed it out before she made her cider in it. Mm -hmm. So, what I'm thinking is... Because Belinda washed out the pot, someone might have known that's the one she would use if she makes her famous cider. Tried to pre-poison the batch. She washed out a majority of it, but only enough was left to make Felix sick but not die. Oh, that's an interesting thought. We'll see. 
I think that makes sense because she complained that the servants like didn't wash the pot and that she had to do it. Mm. Unless she means after she made the cider, but I think before would make sense because that would lessen the amount of poison. Right. Either that or she's just covering her own tracks. Not sure. We shall see. There's always a potential for any of these characters <laughs> to be lying. And that's I what's know. so I hard. Know. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of perspective and everything else, Belinda does say that she saw Felix leaving the library right before he was killed. And she does give a different perspective when it comes to Felix and Verity. Yeah, so she reveals that she introduced them in college, but she had been sort of dating Felix first. And she says it it was in a very like loose way. But then once she introduced Felix and Verity, they clicked and were very much in love, which is exactly the opposite of what Minerva said. So we have two very opposing pieces of information. I'm assuming the reality is somewhere in the middle, but it's hard to know. And then it kind of makes me wonder if Belinda is the beautiful serpent because she had already been dating Felix before. And there's nobody else that Minerva thought of who could be the beautiful serpent, like no new people in their life at that point. Interesting thought. We shall see. I know you. <laughs> I know. I just. I feel bad because you can't tell us anything. But I'm just gonna keep throwing theories out there. Okay. And then the end of this chapter, I think, is really important because Chance picks up the book copy of The Wind in the Willows that he used to read before bed, but he doesn't get to open it. And we are 100% convinced that there's a secret hidden inside this book somewhere. And then also, Cadence comes and says she needs to talk to Chance, but she doesn't get to reveal what she needs to say. So there's like. They just get cut off before they get to get to the piece of information that we need. And it was so sneaky that you made us not be able to get get to that. Yeah. During that whole conversation as well, Chance is, you know, changing and he's kind of like a little privacy, please, you know, and Candace is just not affected by this at all. This leads us to believe. I mean, we got this question. Yeah, that. She's not bothered by it, even though Chance is. And he tries to do the whole, like, roles reverse thing. And she kind of calls his bluff where she's like, well, I wouldn't scream, (laughs) but, you know. So, again, I think this constantly plays into this whole idea that Chance is nowhere near as smooth as he thinks he is. And I love the fact that, you know, Cadence at times is unintentional intentionally calling his bluff on certain things and he just doesn't know how to react i always like to think of it as like the han solo principle which like han solo in his mind is like the smoothest most artful con artist and womanizer in the galaxy but when you actually like watch the films and read the books you're like han you wouldn't know what to do with a woman if she fell in your lap like you're you're so useless (laughs) like you're really bad at what you think you're really good at and it's sweet that you think you're really good at it but bless like (laughs) mm, you're not nearly as cool as you think you are and it's okay we like you that way it's fine yeah stay humble honey (laughs) (laughs) it also like totally played into what we talked about earlier when cadence is pretty blasé about nudity she's like well like i know what you look like under your clothes and you know what i look like under mine so whatever and obviously from a human perspective like your body is like your own and it's private. But from her perspective, when a body is something you just yeah. pick out and plug yourself into, like it's completely different perspective. Uh, and I liked that that was a little more of their culture coming through too. Exactly. Yeah. I thought that was a really fun bit. 
I liked that Chance didn't really have like a counter argument when she said that too. He was just kind of like, okay, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, well that's, that's true, I suppose. <laughs> this whole interaction gets interrupted by a crash, heavy thuds, and cries for help. And, oh, I have grievances. <laughs> Essentially, we get that Minerva has been strangled by someone. Solomon doesn't answer this question where... Someone asks him what happened, and he says, I don't know. I was heading towards our rooms, and I heard a noise. I came to see what it was, and somebody ran past me. And then he just cuts off and says, is she going to be all right? So, like... That's not really helpful. Who ran past you, Solomon? Why don't you know? (laughs) Like, other than the staff help, you know everyone here very well. You've been in the same home with them for mm, going on three, maybe four days now. I mean, he's known almost all of them his whole life. Yeah. Too. Just to make someone ran past me, like... (laughs) Damn it, man. (laughs) Open your eyes. Who was it? Classic case of you can't handle the truth. <laughs> this you is know. another time in our notes, our notes we just wrote suspicious in all capital letters. <laughs> they do end up calling an ambulance and the enforcement officers. Cadence says that she was wrong about who the murderer was. Her theories are getting tossed up onside their head. Yeah. So I don't know if you can reveal this or not, but did I thought Cadence thought the murderer was Henry and Sam thought Cadence thought the murderer was Minerva, are you able to tell us that without revealing anything, or is that too tricky? I can tell you that you are both wrong. <gasps> oh. <laughs> what? Damn it, Henry! <laughs> oh, man! Cadence did not think it was either of those people. What? But she still now thinks that she was wrong about who she thought it was. Oh, man. Okay, so I thought she thought it was Henry because he would never attack his own mom. And earlier, she seemed like she was trying to keep Chance away from him. And then obviously, Sam thought she thought it was Minerva and Minerva can't attack herself. Right. I'll show me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll run past Solomon (laughs) to myself. So Minerva runs past Solomon, strangles herself. (laughs) And he doesn't know who it was. The worst criminal in history. (laughs) But I was looking for me the whole time. (laughs) Again, our questions. We have so many. One, what did Cadence need to tell Chance? Because she made it seem so urgent and she got cut off. Two, who ran past Solomon? Because that seems like an essential clue and he just didn't know. And three, what are the crystals that they found in the pot? So those are like the big clues for this section. And then I guess four... (laughs) <laughs> for um is something going to be in the wind of the willows book copy mm. i am a hundred percent confident something is and if it's not i will not not be disappointed i will just be shocked <laughs> <laughs> well solomon thinks the will is in one of the books yeah so i'm assuming hopefully it's in there yeah it just it seems like the perfect legacy like to be like a little aside note of like Chance, sorry I was a poopy dad. And then, like, <laughs> here's the, the will. So, we'll see. We'll see. We'll we could see. be totally wrong. Sam, your favorite. Inspector Bravash shows up again. <laughs> I love that our notes for Chapter 19, top line. 
Bribois shows up again and is very useless. As as every inspector in an amateur detective novel must be, yes. right? Like yes. the, the the police are never any good at anything. Was it fun to use that trope? It was, yes. Yeah. I really love the Lestrades and like of the world of detective fiction. I love those kinds of characters because it's like, you know, they they must have at some point been good at their jobs because they're like inspectors or they're high ranking officers in, in their field. And yet every time you see them, it's like they can't find their shoes. Like, <laughs> it's like, come on, guys. This is supposed to be your job. You get paid to do this and you're getting circles run around you by these amateurs. What's up? And I, I love writing that. It's so much fun. <laughs> I always thought it was a combination of like, obviously, your main character detective is supposed to be the best of the best. Mm-hmm. But then also the idea of detectiving as a business and how you don't have unlimited resources and unlimited time to devote to solving crime, but you just need to sometimes produce a product. And so in this situation, he's like, yep, it's Solomon. He did it. We've solved it. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I immediately just yelled, this yeah. is flawed logic. <laughs> yes. And I think that's very much what it, it is for Bribois too, where he's like, you know, this is his day job. And yeah, it's like he doesn't have all the time in the world to just putter around and watch people and like break into rooms and spy on things. Like he has to do things by the book and he only has so many hours in the day. So when he sees a somewhat obvious suspect, he's going to be like, yeah, okay, sure. That works. Yep. so here's his line of evidence in this do you want to read this sam yes so the medics have informed me that the marks on minerva's neck were caused by someone's bare hands the strength required to crush someone's windpipe points to a male assailant mrs davers was visiting miss edis in her rooms just before the attack she left to go get some drinks from the kitchen miss tanith told me that she was the first on the landing after the cries for help and that no one came past her up the stairs. No one from the downstairs bedrooms could have made it back to their rooms without being seen by the others. It had to have been Solomon Davers. This is flawed logic. It's covering up the (laughs) fact that a female under the influence of Drogon could potentially be strong enough to attack Minerva. Also, there's a dumbwaiter, so people could have used those other than the stairs if they need to get up and down. That's a good point. So that negates Belinda's fact that she said no one came past her up the stairs. Yes. On paper, the logic is sort of there. You can't really argue against him. But at the same time, since we know more than Bribois, we know that that's not true. Right. Yeah. So at this point now, we've had four crimes committed within this house. (laughs) We've had the necklace being (laughs) stolen, Felix attempted poisoning, Felix actual murder, and Minerva's attack. So this is like turning into like a sci-fi horror, like (laughs) it's going off the rails and I love it. Who's next? What's going to happen? They're all going to get hurt. (laughs) And then the chandelier fell. Like it just (laughs) craziness. I love it. I guess also the copy of the will that was in the study was stolen. Yeah. Theoretically, or it's missing. We don't know if that's the one that. Felix like took and removed himself or if somebody else took that. So there could be a maybe fifth crime. I mean, technically seven, because then you have uh, Cadence <laughs> stealing the EO files. And no, these are unsolved crimes. <laughs> we know who did those. <laughs> you get a felony and you get a felony and you get a felony. <laughs> yeah. 
you're all guilty of something. Oh, God, seriously. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Cadence knocks over. Well, no, let me rewind. <laughs> so as they take Minerva out to the ambulance, they knock over a potted plant and Cadence grabs it and puts it upright. But later, she has a clump of dirt on her hands. She so. must be guilty then. <laughs> we caught you brown-handed. No, but <laughs> I'm thinking she must have buried something in the potted plant. I agree. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it was... Oh, wait. When she went up to Chance's room earlier, she like hid her hands behind her back. Okay. So she's got something that she doesn't want people to see. So as soon as the EO officers arrived, she couldn't let them see it. So she had to hide it in the plant. Mm, you're on something, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> I can say nothing. <laughs> you could probably just look at us with shock and disappointment because we're making so many crazy I know, <laughs> crazy we're grasping at straws. I'm having a lot of fun. <laughs> <sighs> and so during this tumultuous time, Chance tells Henry to go with his mom to the hospital and be there for her. And then we get Victoria being the absolute worst, <laughs> followed by Chance being the absolute best. And <laughs> man, what a what a own. Him just saying, Victoria, do you think about the things that come out of your mouth or do you just let them run free through your brain before inflicting them on the rest of us? And, you know, her eyes get wide. She takes a step forward and she's like, I'm sorry, what did you just say to me? I just love this response. It was brilliant. I must have used words a bit too long for you. Shut your trap, Vicky. <laughs> just oh, <laughs> phenomenal. Finally, somebody had to say it. <laughs> Again, we get this whole, at least he's nice to dogs moment kind of thing from Chance where... <laughs> Solomon did not kill my father, and he did not just try to kill his wife. Or like, you've known him as long as I have. Why would you even say something like that? We're getting these golden boy moments from Chance that he's redeemable. Yeah, he does defend people's honor, although it will be funny when eventually one of them is revealed to be the criminal because he is good at being like, no, these people are my friends and family, which is kind of like a 180 from where he started. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Literally going from like, no, these people are my friends and family. I can't believe it was my friends and family. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Cadence again goes to the library while everyone goes to sleep. What is she up to? We don't know. She won't let Chance in on whatever Skinny. she's doing. And, you know, Chance is dead set on paying Solomon's bail. And it's pretty extravagant, regardless of what the economic situation is. 500,000 credits does not seem like a bargain. So <laughs> I do like that you reinforce this by saying like how the EO is so confident on Solomon's guilt in this. That's why it's set so high. Mm -hmm. So better and for worse, you know, this could either be used to mislead us or to lead us in our suspicions that he is innocent. I think it's a fun two-way clue. Yeah. So after he pays the credits, yeah. he has to go get Solomon, and he makes Cadence come with him, and she's very mad about this. So I think she's close to solving the mystery, or she was just deep in her work and did not want to be interrupted, but she's, like, very cold the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so they get Solomon, and he immediately asks about Minerva and asks him to go check on her right now, so... He seems very caring, which obviously 
is to make us believe that he did not hurt his wife, which I hope he didn't. But then they let him go back to the house on his own, which I don't know if that's suspicious or not, but it seems like they shouldn't just let him go do his own thing and not come to the hospital to check on his wife. (laughs) You might be a potential murderer. See you at the house. (laughs) See you later. See you for drinks. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) On your way back, can you pick up some rope and trash bags? (laughs) (laughs) We could use another shovel. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) and there's actually a really awesome revelation here that solomon picks up on the fact that cadence is an animanecron chance does not know how to react to this revelation i had a feeling that at least one of the people would have recognized cadence yeah solomon makes perfect sense because he says he's an ai expert but i also was wondering about maybe the doctor Realizing that she's not human. Right. Like the breathing mm. patterns or physical. Yeah. I just think it's funny that Chance thought he was like in the know. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, Chance's self-absorption. Yeah. Makes him think that he's really clever and everyone's like, no, we, we all kind of noticed something was up. <laughs> Cadence is a little bit different, Chance. <laughs> yeah. I do love the fact that they pick up that the Halcyon logo is like a tattoo it's almost kind of like a product placement. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wrote in our notes, would you ever get a Cadence Touring slash Halcyon Enterprises tattoo of your own? Oh, what an interesting thought. I've never actually considered it. But yeah, I think that'd be really cool. I, I currently don't have any tattoos, not because I don't want any, but it just hasn't ever come up. But that'd be a really cool first tattoo. Yeah, right? like your yeah, own creation. I, I think it'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be really, really cool. Well, thanks for the idea, guys. All right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get on designing it now. Yeah. Do you have a design for it, or did you just reference the logo? I was just like, well, I know what it looks like in my head, but unfortunately, since I'm not an artist, I can't translate that (laughs) into an actual image. But it's it's very much just like a, a... stark simple line drawing of a phoenix and yeah i know what it looks like but i can't tell oh you. cool a phoenix sounds <laughs> yeah. awesome you should get this tattoo yeah. <laughs> yeah or at least get somebody to like draw a print for you so you can hang it up as like a piece of art or something yeah i think it'd be awesome that'd be really cool oh and then one thing like right at the end because this is the end of the whole section of chapters we read too solomon says that apparently cadence is fond of chance and he noticed that, I think, after Cadence was doing the, like, tapping thing. So has she been, like, tapping out? Maybe not, like... It's, like, phys- like her love language almost. Like, it's, like, a sign of affection. No, no, no. Like, with the, like, emotion taggings. Like, is the tapping, like, adding something to her communication oh. that only Solomon would pick mm. up on? Because he would know what that means. We shall see. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. Darn it. <laughs> All will be revealed. I know. Yes. Finally, next one. We can stop making crazy accusations. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I I think that's the funnest part is just like pointing the figure and just going wild. (laughs) Yeah. So speaking of which, do you want to go over our like final questions and our final predictions? So our final out loud ponderings for this episode are, (laughs) where is the necklace? (laughs) Where is the will? (laughs) Will Minerva recover? (laughs) Who poisoned the pot? Who is the beautiful serpent? And where is Desdemona's accomplice? So lots of 
lots of questions up in the air still as far as what is to be. I think I'm pretty surprised that they haven't found the necklace at all, and they haven't really even brought up looking for it. Mm. I'm hoping that they find it by the end of the book, obviously, but I think it's been kind of tossed aside because nobody seems to care about Desdemona, and I feel bad. Yeah. Wouldn't that be terrible if I wrote a book that started with the theft of a necklace and then I ended it with the necklace just being gone forever? Uh, That'd be so sad. That's it. I would I would feel so bad for you guys. <laughs> no spoilers, but I didn't do that. Thank goodness. Yeah. That would be so tragic. Oh, that would be, be really so sneaky. I think that would just keep me up at night perpetually. Yeah, forever. I'd be like, but where did it go? Why? No, it's like I just save it till until I'm ready to write the very last Cadence Turing book. Oh, then the oh. necklace comes back. That. Oh my God! What ooh. a way to hook your readers in forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Remember season one, no. the necklace. Well, it's back. <laughs> it's back, baby. Like a yeah. hundred books later. It would be like wicked dramatic <laughs> yeah. too. Like Cadence turns around like in a dress and is just wearing the necklace. <laughs> and you're like, what? I had it the whole time. Ah. <laughs> uh. All right. So I made us write down our final predictions about yes. what the re- resolution will be. So do you want to explain yours? Yes. So as of right now, <laughs> it changes by the moment, but Minerva <laughs> stole the necklace and then Desdemona, under the influence of Drogon, attacked Minerva. My other prediction is that the will, the will is in the Wind in the Willows book, which we were talking about earlier. I'm still kind of convinced that Aunt B is a beautiful serpent. I think Aunt B is a beautiful serpent too, but I don't know. My theory is that Desdemona stole the necklace from herself mm. because she wants to actually get back with her old accomplice who was her love interest from before. And then that money from the necklace would be able to support them. Because she's the last person to have seen the necklace. And then she could totally, when she brought the case out, be like, what do you mean it's not in there? and pretend shock surprise yeah Yeah. like oh where did it go i don't know (laughs) and then i really for some reason think the poisoner and murderer is the same person i think it's henry but i don't know a hundred percent why i know he was looking at poisonous flowers so he could have poisoned the cider pot and earlier i thought cadence thought it was henry uh which you have since told me is wrong (laughs) but I think whoever murdered Felix and poisoned Felix is not the same person who attacked Minerva. And I can't really figure that part out. So I'm stuck. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm dead-ended again. I think the will is going to be found in the book. I have no idea where the necklace is at all. I feel like originally in the underwear drawer where there's a false compartment and we saw the empty bag... I feel like that's originally where the necklace was and then got removed. So maybe it got stolen again. Ooh. Like a secondary stealing. Jeez. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> it's all such a tangled web. Yeah. Oh, it really is. You did a very good job creating a tangled web. Each character, I think, could fit into, like, I could give you the motivations for each character, but I'm not feeling solid about any one of them in particular, just because I feel like there's like one piece of information still around the corner we're going to find or yeah, something like that. But I felt that way the whole time and we keep getting more pieces of information. And then the, the swirl of 
my theories just keeps getting more and more murky. So, <laughs> yay. <laughs> so I'm very irritated, but in the best of ways. Yes. So good job. Yay, good, good. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, that's it for all my predictions. Yeah. I know I'm going to be wrong on some of them, but that's what makes mysteries fun, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I've been having a blast through this. Did you have any final thoughts? Yes. Actually, I do. Robin, mm-hmm. for you writing a mystery and then having us reading and going through and having predictions, have you been able to have this experience with any other readers other than like your beta readers? No. The closest I've gotten is there was, uh, I, I do um, conventions and shows and like Comic Cons and stuff like that where I sell my books. And there was one gentleman who I was, he was at the booth next to mine also selling his wares. Um, and he heard my pitch like a dozen times within the first hour of the show. And he was like, actually, that book sounds really good. Can I like buy that off of you? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And then he proceeded to just sit there and read it. And I was like, dude, you can't do that. Like, you can't just sit in front of me and read my book. Like, that is giving me such anxiety right now. You have no idea. And, and it was like every couple chapters or so, he'd like put it down and be like, so that was really interesting how you did this, that, or the other thing. And I'm like, cool. Okay, this is like immediate feedback. Yeah. I really like this. This is really fun. This is not as terrible as I thought it was going to be. And that's kind of the closest I've gotten to this kind of experience where it's like in real time, I get to hear people's reactions or what they loved or what was frustrating or, you know, something like that. Besides my beta readers, obviously. For this first book, I remember one of my beta readers gave me like a 10 page document of their like by the moment notes. And it was very much like the notes that you have where they were like, this person's hella sus. I don't trust them. Victoria is such a bitch. Like, what? Excellent. This is good feedback. I love this. That's exactly word for word in our notes, too. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this has been a really fun experience. And it's it's been really, and I mean this in the best way, it's been really illuminating to hear paths that I might have gone down, but I didn't. Ooh, that's interesting. Because I'm still writing mysteries, right? And so the thought of like, that I've weaved a story and that when we stop at a point, you go like, well, maybe it could go this direction. I'm like, well, it didn't, but I can see where you think that it might. <laughs> and that's super interesting. And maybe I'm going to use that later. Mm. Oh, yeah. Feel free to take any of our bonkers ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Except for Desdemona's baby. <laughs> so good. That's my favorite one. I love that one. That would make her Desdemona's so much baby. more like sympathetic, I think. Yeah. Her fiance's murdered and she like didn't even get a chance to tell him he's going to have a baby. And then she's stuck in this place where like she's not really part of the family but sort of now is kind of stuck there could be interesting it is a a good plot point (laughs) and i will tell you this is like once again not a spoiler but i think it'd be interesting for the uh listening audience one of your big questions at the end of this episode was where's the necklace and that you you said you have no idea where it is you actually got kind of close in like the second, I think it was the second episode, you guys were talking about where the necklace might be or who had taken it. You guys got kind of close there in that episode to getting it right. Ooh. And I was really worried you were going <laughs> to guess it. And I was like, dang it, I didn't do a good enough job of hiding that. But as I, as I intended, the whole murder and poisoning and all that kind of stuff has muddied the waters. So I think you've kind of forgotten what you knew. Ooh. Yeah, well, because so much more gets added to like our list of information. And the best part, I think, about mysteries is 
you are just sort of walking around a location with the detectives and they Mm -hmm. notice things and sometimes it's important and sometimes it's just scenery. Yeah. But we don't know how to differentiate what it is because obviously the detective doesn't even always know how to differentiate those things. So we're just making, you know, as the book goes on, we just get like longer and longer lists of potentially important. Yeah. 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 So it makes it like hard to sift out what you should be honing in on. Yeah. In the best of ways, obviously. Oh, (laughs) yes. Yeah. But so listeners, if you go back to episode like two, you're, (laughs) you're on a good track for figuring out where the necklace is. Oh, it'll be fun when we go back to edit the audio yeah. and like see what we were saying in episode two, because I don't remember. Yeah, I think one yeah. thing I definitely want to do is when we uh, unveil each episode is you remember on like Spotify, we have like those poll questions. Oh, yeah. Like get other people to poll what they think. Yeah. Think as, if we're like, right as or wrong. we go by episodes. That'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. that'd be awesome. That'd be really fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm really excited, though, because next week we get to do the whole conclusion and we'll figure it all out been really hard to stop every week i know (laughs) and not read ahead and find out because mysteries are such page turners for me they're one of my favorite genres and i'd love to just know like who did it obviously because that's the whole point of the book and again like having to stop and wait every week's been so tantalizing (laughs) Mm. well that is such a nice compliment um thank you uh i'm glad that it's what made you want to keep reading definitely definitely yeah i think for me too where I've grown, and I've said this since like the first episode, I've grown to appreciate the journey more with mysteries. In my youth, I would just be like, I just want to know already. So, <laughs> Especially with this story and like subtle complexity and like fun world building tidbits, I have really enjoyed to read through it, dissect it. It's almost kind of like... It's like a brain teaser. It's a brain teaser and like... I'm almost, we've been like the, with our notes, almost treating it like a, a schoolwork assignment with like how we're thoroughly taking notes on it. It's just been fun. Yeah, it really is fun. I feel like as if like I've been a detective this whole time along with Chance and Cadence. Yay! That makes me so happy. Yes, it's fun. I love it. (laughs) Any final thoughts? Just sad that we're going to get to the end next time. (laughs) There's more Cadence touring books, though. We can get read more. And then at the end of the 100th novel, we'll learn where the necklace is. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, listeners. If you're looking for more, check us out at fantasticbookspod.com, where we have book reviews, reading list suggestions, merch, and you can even send us a message. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at fantasticbookspod. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks. Thanks. Golden Rise Media.